If you have your Bibles, uh, I encourage you to open them up to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we will get there in a few minutes. Um, over the last three weeks, uh, we have been looking at this idea of sitting with God, uh, of being in His presence, uh, of listening to Him and, and listening for Him. And our goal, our desire in all of that is that we quit becoming people who uh, are habitually making these knee-jerk decisions or having knee-jerk reactions, that we quit doing that. that it's because sometimes we, those reactions, those decisions cause us to say yes to something too quickly, uh, and then our already overcrowded uh, schedule becomes even more crammed up, and we may miss out on some way that God is trying to bless us or bless others through us. Or sometimes we, we too quickly say no, um, and, and the same thing, we, we miss out on something that God might have in store for us. Our goal, our desire is that we spend more and more time with God in prayer, in His Word, in worship, in Sabbath, in the practice of Sabbath, in seeking out silence and solitude, that we are more open to where He is leading us, even if where He is leading us looks nothing like where we've been and resembles nothing like what we've done in the past, that we are open to where He is leading us. In sitting with God, we become people who no longer blindly or immediately accepts what culture may tell us, what a political party may tell us. Church, even what Christian authors or pastors may tell us, what a podcast may, try, uh, may, may say to us. So we don't just blindly accept those things we are, because we are sitting with God and we are wanting to hear from Him. Even from this pulpit, as I stand before you, I don't ask you to blindly accept but I ask you to be people of the word who are, who are spending time with God and making sure that what is shared here is what is also shared here. Um, so that, uh, there's this idea of Sabbath and solitude and silence that leads us into a deeper peace. And we talked about last week, shalom, this peace of God that surpasses anything that the world can give us. It surpasses all of our understanding. And with every day that God blesses us with breath in our lungs, we want to be better and better, more clearer and more clearer image bearers of Him and workers for His kingdom. With that in mind, I want us to start with a question. I want to pose a question to you. If suddenly FBCW ceased to exist, would we be missed? Now, I don't know what natural disaster just occurred in your head to make us not exist, whether a sinkhole opened up and swallowed this block or what happened. But if we, for some reason, were not here, we were not here, would we be missed? I encourage you to wrestle with that question a little bit. Right? Would our neighbors miss us? Would our community even realize that we were gone? Would our community be worse off or better off if we were no longer here? Would they throw us a funeral service? Or would they have a block party and celebrate our, our, our leaving? Would we be missed if we weren't here? The answer to, the, the, to those questions tell us a lot about a lot of different things, important things about us. And one of the, they are one of the key markers in how well we are doing in fulfilling our role in the Great Commission in making disciples for the kingdom of God. If we strip down all that we do, if we, if we, if we, all the excitement of a children's ministry, the facilities, 
the, the, the passion of our leaders, the, the commitment of our ministry teams that serve our kids, our middle schoolers, and our students, if we take away the expectations of upcoming events, if we take the accolades of our past achievements, if we take all that away, how are we doing with the mission that God has placed on us, making disciples of all nations? Over the next several weeks, we're going to tackle this, this issue of disciple-making, and we're going to look at it from several different perspectives. I'm going to, every week as I prepare, as I pray, as I study, as I read, I'm going to be asking the question, where am I in my journey of being a disciple? And I'm going to ask you to answer that same question. Where are you in your journey of becoming a disciple or being a disciple? I want to ask, to ask us to wrestle with how do we continue to mature as disciples, not just to become, become okay with where we are, or stagnant with where we are, but how do we increase our Christian maturity uh, as each day goes by? How do we move people from one level of maturity to another? How do we, how do we create and encourage more and more people to take the next step in their journey? And we're going to do all of these by looking at two things, or emphasizing two things. One is we're going to emphasize the method that Jesus used. Now, there's a lot of other good people in, in the New Testament that we're going to take a peek at. I mean, John and Paul and Peter and James, they all give us some good information, but we're going to zero in on Jesus and his three-plus years of making disciples while he was on this planet. And we're also going to emphasize disciple-making over discipleship. Now, you may say, well, that's just semantic. That's just rearranging a few words, but it's not. It's completely different because disciple-making is this far-reaching branch. And over the course of our history as the church, not just FBCWM, but the church, over the history of the church, we have become experts at dividing up the mission into these more manageable, in our mind, uh, chunks. So we have these two big things that drive most churches, evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism, bringing more and more people in. Discipleship, taking people deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And we have churches that are built uh, uh, around bringing more people in. And we have churches that are built upon taking people people deeper and deeper and deeper. And when we do that, we divide the effectiveness of the church and we challenge and we, 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 we corrupt our image as the church because we are not supposed to just do this and we're not supposed to just do this. If you read the Great Commission, it, it is doing both all the time. And if we are focused on making disciples and becoming disciple makers, then that incorporates both evangelism and discipleship. So this is a series on disciple making. And, and that is a distinction that, it, that is important. And both of these ideas of, of, of looking at Jesus and following his method come from the church's mission that Jesus himself gave us 2,000 plus years ago. We look at it, we look at it regularly I pray that not too many weeks go by where we're not refocusing and reminding ourselves of the mission of the church, but the mission hasn't changed in 2,000 years, and it will not change until Jesus comes back. So let's look at those two sections of Scripture that we use quite a bit here 
Uh, but as we read through them, I want you to think of and to read them through a methods lens. What can we pick up about what Jesus was doing that might help us in our disciple-making endeavors? Right? The me- we'll talk about message But let's also talk about his method. Matthew chapter 28, there'll be a couple of the verses on the screen, but I'm going to jump up, back up a little bit uh, and read a little bit more. So Matthew chapter 28, uh, I'm going to start in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's go to that, 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 that verse over in Acts chapter 1 that we've paired uh, with that. Acts chapter 1, and uh, 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 a couple of verses will be... Or, Verse 8 will be on the screen, but let's start at the beginning of this book. This is Luke's second writing, um, talking about what he has seen and heard and how we can follow in and be encouraged from what he has seen and heard and researched. So, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray, please. Father God, we thank you for your words. God, we thank you for your scripture that you have assembled and preserved for us. God, may we use them to know more and more of you. May we use them to uh, deepen and deepen our love and our commitment to you. And God, as we look at these verses and, and, and others that Jesus spoke this morning, God, may they lead us into a better understanding of what you desire of us as followers of you. And God, may our heads and our hearts be open to where you are guiding us, not just this morning, but every day that you give us breath. May we always be people of the word. May we search everything. Uh, may, we, may we test everything that we hear on your scriptures. And God, may we just be people who seek truth and seek to have lives that are shaped by truth. God, be with us in the next few minutes as we dig in uh, to Jesus' methods. May they uh, enlighten us. May they guide us uh, from this day forward. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
Back on January the 8th, uh, we talked about the mission of God using these same two scriptures. And, and we talked about how in Matthew chapter 28, when, when, when Matthew writes the words of Jesus and he says, go, that it's not this, just this special mission trip that may, you may prepare for for some time in the future. It's not only after you've solidified your faith to the point that you think you have a pretty firm footing on what you believe. It's not just after you've accumulated all of the answers to questions that you think people might ask you. No. When he says, go and make, that literally means as you go. So, it, it, it's anywhere and it's everywhere. It's any time and it's all the time that you are living out your faith. Living out what you believe in fulfillment of the great commission that's been placed upon us. We do this by living out the message that Jesus taught. A message that he shared to large groups of thousands of small groups in the intimacy of someone's home. It's the message that he shared through parables or through object lessons, like seeing a withered tree that wasn't producing fruit. It's a message that, that we heard as he, he had come out of the grave and spent 40 days with this growing number of people before he ascended into heaven. It, it, it's a message that, that encourages us to love and to forgive and to persevere and to share our faith and to stay united and to hold each other accountable and to, to lift each other up about how to live in this world and about how to live for eternity. And we should lean closely into the message of Jesus. But we can also learn a lot from the method of Jesus. And I pray that we have already done some of that. We just came off three works, weeks of looking at the, the methods of Jesus. And I pray that, the, that, that those of you who, are, who have opened yourself up to celebrating and practicing Sabbath rest are feeling the positive effects of that. And those of us who have, who have become intentional about seeking out eremos, that silence and solitude, that, we are being, that our lives are being blessed by those practices and that the lives of others are being blessed because we are practicing that and we are more focused and more energized on the mission that we have. But here, I want us to, 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 to look in and to see these, these me this method that Jesus gives us. And if you were paying attention as we read through that, you see a lot of words like command, teach, instruct, all of these ways that Jesus poured in. And what we want to do over the next few weeks is to look at these methods. Today, we're going to take this 50,000-foot view, and we're just going to look at the, the entire process, the, the entire picture. And then each of the next four weeks, we're going to zoom in and look at a much more detailed look. And as we do this, we're going to, to, to use some terminology that wasn't made up by me. It was, it was made up or adopted by this organization called Like Jesus. And this, this individual named Dan Spader um, wrote a book called Four Chair Discipling, and he gives this picture that helps us understand the process, helps us understand our approach. Now, if you're anything like me, pictures are good because pictures help you remember. Hey, just, just last week, or this last week, we were getting our house ready for Shelby's sister to come and, and visit with us for a little bit. And so we're, we're rearranging some stuff in a, in a spare room. And in that spare room are all these pictures uh, of my kids who are now this tall uh, when they were this tall. And those pictures remind me of a whole lot. 
Seems like thousands of years ago at times. But pictures help us remember. But these, this also gives us a foundation of how we can evaluate ourselves and how we can move forward as a church family. And I pray that we, as we spend a, a month plus looking at these, that they become a part of who we are. Um, and so these four chairs are based off of four challenges that Jesus gave to his disciples at various times throughout his journey with them. Uh, and and uh, these challenges they also give us a place for us to sit. So part of today is for you to picture, honestly picture, honestly assess in which of these chairs you might sit. So let's just talk about these for a little bit. As you're looking at them, this first chair, right, chair number one, comes from Jesus' words to, to two of John's disciples, Andrew and John. Before they were even believers in Jesus Christ, before they were followers of Jesus Christ, they were, they were following John the Baptist around. They were his disciples. And, and Andrew and John met Jesus one day, and they're asking them all these questions about what he's doing and even where he is staying. And instead of giving them some lengthy answer um, in his itinerary for the next week and a half, right, he just simply says to them, come and you will see. Come and see. Chair one are those people who are seeking. The, we might refer to them as unbelievers, as lost. And there's a whole other slew of words that the Bible uses to describe somebody who might sit in this chair. But they are individuals who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And at this time, Andrew and John don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he simply says to them, come and see. people in chair number one, they need something to happen in their lives. They need an obedient follower of Jesus Christ to speak truth into their lives. They need the Holy Spirit somehow to get their attention, whether that's through the circumstance of life, an event in life, a believer that intersects with their life. They need something to happen so that they can move from chair one to the next chair. And that is our goal, is to move from one chair to the next chair to the next chair, to finally the last fourth chair. So in chair one, we have those who, who, who are open to the invitation that Jesus says to come and to see. No relationship yet with Christ. They are not in the family of, uh, of Christ. They are seekers. They are lost. The second challenge, the second chair, comes just a few verses after that one in in. John 139, uh, in John 143, where Jesus meets for the first time Philip and says to Philip, follow me. Now, following uh, around, all right, I want you to think of uh, follow the leader. When the leader goes right, you go right. When the leader hops, you hop. When he stoops under something, you stoop under something. You are simply following the leader. Chair two people are no longer lost because they have understood who Jesus is. They believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They accept that, and they place their faith that may be as small as a mustard seed in Jesus. And in so doing, in moving from chair one to chair two, they become believers, Christians, brothers, and sisters. And there is some level of commitment here 
But the level of commitment is easy because you are simply following the person, in this case, Jesus, who is in front of you. You're simply following the rabbi. Your commitment is to that teacher, that rabbi. The third chair calls the believer to leave the comfort of chair two because all you're doing there is staring at the back of the person in front of you and weaving when they weave and jumping when they jump, doing what they do and following them. In chair number three, it becomes a little bit more involved. There's two parallel passages, one in Matthew chapter 4 and another in Mark chapter 1 that help us understand this deeper commitment into this next chair and this next challenge of Jesus. And here, he expands on the phrase from before. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. As we'll see in three weeks when we dig into this chair three a little bit more, this is one of the most misunderstood and least applied verses in all of, all of the New Testament. And we're going to dig into that in, in, in a little bit. The, the challenge here is for us to, to look at the, the life of Jesus, the public life of Jesus, as three, and, three, three and a half years, right? There's, there's, there's three Passovers in there, so we know that it was at least three years uh, that Jesus was in public ministry, and sometimes when we read Scripture, the, the Gospels, when we read those accounts, we think that he was just out on a walk one day, and he, he walks by somebody, he says, Donna, follow me, Chrissy, get in line, all right, all right. Jacqueline, get behind them, Suzanne, bring your wheelchair, uh, get in line behind them, all right. And we just think that in a matter of just a little bit of time, Jesus has assembled his 12 apostles who are going to radically change the world. I'm not so sure it happens that way. Because when we see, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, it's not the first time that these disciples had seen Jesus or heard him. Uh, there's a pretty good likelihood that they had been following him around for several months, if not a longer period of time into year. So we need to see that and understand that. As, people, as we mature, it takes time. As the disciples, as the apostles, the disciples who became apostles learn, it takes time, right? Are you, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't set Peter loose the first time that he met him? I mean, we've looked a lot at Peter. We've laughed at Peter. We've, we, we, we see ourselves in Simon Peter. Aren't you glad that he wasn't let loose on the world? Imagine the cleanup job that Jesus would have done if he'd have turned baby Peter uh, as a Christian out and, and let him go. He grew him over a series of many years. Chair three, maybe we would define them as workers, they are given some responsibility. Now, I, 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 just another picture to go with this. How many of you have ever seen a group of preschoolers going from like their classroom to the lunchroom or their, their, from the lunchroom to recess or from the building to the park? You ever seen that? They have a long rope, has a bunch of knots in it. Everybody has to hold on to their knot uh, and they walk, right? Tony Foreman tries to go this way, but thankfully the other 15 people in the class are more obedient, right? And I get yanked back in. I, there, there's not much that I can do, right, um, to get off course because I am simply following. And that's what chair two people are. They, they, they're, they're learning, they're watching, they're seeing, they're even doing, they're even producing some fruit, but there's some restriction on them and, and God, because God is still growing them. When you get to chair number three, he, the, the rope is gone, you're still following. We're still going to the same destination, but we are given more freedom and more responsibility uh, in our walk. This is when you see Jesus send out his, his disciples, sends them off in pairs uh, to minister and, and to do some amazing things. 
But Jesus doesn't disappear on them, no. At this stage, Jesus still calls them back in. And what happens when they come back in? They have debriefing sessions. Uh, well, they, they talk about, well, Jesus, we couldn't do this. And Jesus further teaches them. That's because this one can only be handled through prayer. He sends out and then he brings them back to teach and to nurture and to build them up stronger and stronger and stronger. The, they're, they're producing more fruit. They're doing more. They, they, they have more responsibility. They're, they're, they're expected uh, to be more open about their faith, more involved in this disciple-making. But Jesus is still there, watching over and encouraging his workers. Which brings us to the last chair. Right at the end of his ministry, uh, Jesus had just finished this, his last Passover meal with those closest to him in the upper room. They sang, they had a meal, and then they made their way to the garden where Jesus was going to be betrayed. On the way, Jesus stopped and, uh, in a vineyard and delivered a, the, his, his last sermon, one of his most famous sermons about the vine and the branches to those who were with him. And during this final lesson, Jesus makes some pretty cool, some pretty profound statements. First, Jesus calls his disciples friends. And throughout the book of John, Jesus' description of disciples becomes more and more and more intimate the further you read. In John chapter 1, they're called seekers. They were lost. By John chapter 2, they're identified uh, as disciples, as believers. Uh, By John chapter 13, Jesus calls them servants or co-workers. And he says, uh, but now, in John 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have been made known to you. From chair three to chair four, Jesus moves his disciples to a whole new level of relationship with him. And the reason is clear. Pretty soon, he's not going to be with them in physical form. He's going to be, uh, he's going to be betrayed He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten, put to death on a cross, placed in a tomb. He's going to come back for a little bit, but then he's going to ascend into heaven, and they will be charged, John 15 and verse 16, go and bear fruit. Jesus is saying, John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Go and bear fruit. And chair four are those disciple makers they're involved in this, this business of multiplication where the kingdom is just growing and growing and growing. The challenge is the same one that Jesus would command his disciples uh, in the Great Commission. Uh, they are told to go and do what he did, to go and repeat uh, the process in others. I have shown you, now go and do likewise. Go and make disciples of all nations. This challenge is not easy, but really it's pretty simple. And the key to it is, The key to producing fruit and bearing fruit is that we must abide in the vine. There's a pretty graphic picture of what happens when a branch becomes detached from the vine. It shrivels up and it dies and then it's cast in the fire, burnt in the fire. We must remain in the vine. Our task is abiding, and if we're completely honest with ourselves, God's task, Jesus' task through the Holy Spirit is bearing fruit. Our role is obedience. His is conversion. We will bear fruit 
to the degree that we rest in, abide in Jesus Christ and walk as he walked. When we deviate from that, the harvest, our personal harvest, goes down. We will bear fruit to the degree that we walk, that we abide in him and walk as he walked. Jesus recognized that people were in different stages in in the disciple-making journey. He took people from where they were and moved them along the process. And this should be our goal as well. Deeper and deeper levels of growth and maturity in our own lives. Deeper and deeper levels of growth and maturity in the lives of those that we are intentionally discipling. His, his desired end product was that we always bear fruit, that, and fruit was a metaphor in the Bible for multiplication, right? that, that we would see the kingdom multiply, and this should be our desire as well. He knew, and this is interesting when you think about this, right? Jesus knew that in the 30th years, three decades plus that he had on this, this planet, that he would not be able to spend time all over sharing the message. So what did he do? He spent his time investing in those who could further and fulfill the mission. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Augustine, John Calvin, Martin Luther, George Falsic, Wyatt Durham, Tony Foreman. He has passed that on to us to continue the mission. This morning, I'm going to ask you to honestly consider something. As we, as we hover up in this, this high, high view and we look down at the four chairs and the four challenges that Jesus placed on disciples, on people, I want you to consider in which chair do you currently sit? Now, not which chair do I want to sit in? Which chair do I currently sit in? Now, that sometimes being objective for us is hard, so there's a tool that, we're, that we've made available to you. In the one sheet, which is either available through the app uh, uh, or o- online at our website, there is a link to, a, to the Like Jesus website. And in it is this thing called the four, a four-chair assessment. Now, you can do this on your own. Just go and jump into it. But sooner or later, as all free things do, they come to an end and you can't go any further. So please go to the one sheet and use the codes that are on that one sheet so that you can unlock a lot more resources and use that four-chair assessment. Please answer the questions honestly. Hey, don't do like that, uh, that, that uh, career inventory thing you did back in high school where you tried to manipulate where you ended up, right? Just be honest as you go through, right? Is the tool perfect? Nah. Is it good? Yeah, it's pretty good, right? Use it to see where you currently sit with the goal being moving to the next chair, moving deeper into our relationship with Christ. This week, where do you currently sit? Maybe you're in chair four. You're that guy, you're that gal whose life is fully exampling what it looks like to sit in that chair. You're you're bringing in fruit left and right. You're bringing in a harvest. You're intentional about being a disciple maker. And you're intentional about about having uh, relationships and using your relationship to teach them, to share with them the most important thing they will ever hear. Jesus. If that is you, if you're in chair four, thank you. And we're going to rely on you. We're going to depend on you. We want and we need to learn from you as we journey together.
Maybe this morning you're, you're a person who, who is hard at work and you're sitting in chair three uh, and you're doing a lot of kingdom work and uh, you, you, have, you have this growing uh, load of responsibilities and opportunities and, and freedom. You, you're, you're, on, you're on fire. You're, you're working hard and you're taking more and more leaps of faith. To you, we want to say, keep fighting, keep working, and let us help you grow even more. Maybe today, <coughs> maybe today, <coughs> you sit in chair number two. Excuse me. You're in love with Jesus. You believe he's the son of God. You believe he's the, the, the savior of your life. Maybe you're not quite sure what exactly that means or all that that means, but you, you, but you love him and you've trusted him. You, you, you've committed your life to him. To you, we say, welcome to the family. We are glad that you are here. Let us help you grow in your new faith. Let us, let us, let us help you grow in maybe even your stagnant faith. Come alongside us. Live life with us. Study with us. Worship with us. Serve with us. And let us help you move to the next level of discipling. Maybe today you find yourself in chair one. You're just not quite sure. You're searching. You got questions. You need stuff. Maybe Jesus is the answer to that question. Today, maybe you're wrestling with who Jesus is. Maybe you're wondering, is, is this all there is to life? If you're there, today we say the same thing that Jesus said to Andrew and John. Just come and see. Just come and see more of who Jesus is. Join us as we worship, as we serve. Uh, let us talk to you about, about this man, Jesus, and how he changed our lives. And maybe he's the answer for you too. Maybe you're ready to make that decision and you just want uh, Jesus to be the, the rule of your life, your savior, your king today. And man, what a great way to throw off, a, to set off a party in heaven by making today the day that you surrender to Jesus. Today, unless you're the person over in chair four, if you're, one of the, if you're someone in chair one, chair two, or chair three, our prayer as a faith family is you are intentionally and strategically only through a relationship with Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit moving from chair one to chair two, chair two to chair three, and chair three into chair four. And I pray that as we spend more and more time together, that all of us have this picture ingrained in our head and imprinted upon our heart that we want to do all that we can to become more vibrant image bearers of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please?